Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to episode 521 from September 30th, 2010. So we're looking right about seven years ago into the history of the show, and we've crossed that 500 number. Uh, the title of this episode originally was Why I Think the Way That I Do. It, it stemmed from a whole lot of questions that were kind of like, damn, Jack, how do you know all this shit? And the answer was, I don't really know all this shit. What happens is questions come in, and I sit back and I think about them and I figure them out. And I haven't actually listened to this episode in full. A lot of times when I do rewind episodes, I listen to them in full. But because of the way everything was coming together and having to cancel one vacation, book another, and having the workshop coming up and wanting to get everything done before I left for that, I, I crammed all of these, um, the editing and, and remixing of all these shows into a single Saturday afternoon, uh, actually Saturday the 9th, so it was that far back from you know today. And uh, so I didn't get a chance to listen to them all. So I, I'm really not sure if I made this point clear in this episode or not. And, and my gut is that I didn't, so it's, it's kind of the, the new content that I wanted to append to the front. One of the reasons that you guys can send me a question that seems like, well, it maybe should be more like for like a self-help psychologist like Dr. Phil or something like that, and I can kind of tear it apart and, and, and give you an answer to it that makes sense, and you think, damn, that's, that's pretty solid, is that it's not that I know you better than yourself, because there's no way I can possibly do that. Most of the time when I get a question like that, I don't really know who you are. It's not that I'm smarter than you. It's not that I'm super smart. It's that I can look at that question 100% emotionally divorced from that question. That, that's, that's what it really is. If you think that everything that comes into my life, that I'm that good at dissecting and pulling apart, you'd, you'd be wrong. I have the same challenges with emotion and reaction than any other human being does. As I've matured and gotten older, I've tried to get to a point where When I see myself doing it, it's not that I don't do it anymore. It's like, did I realize I'm doing it and go, whoa, put the freaking brakes on, Jack. And then I try to give myself the advice that I'll give you right now with what this episode is really about. What this episode is really about is not just who I am and why I think the way I do, but how to be your own troubleshooter in your own life. And so the advice I give myself is stop. And don't worry about the fact that you're angry, upset, frightened, uh, be, be, fe feeling a need to be aggressive with this situation, feeling a need to be passive with the situation. Just forget it all. Just let go of it. Go Buddhist Zen monk on this shit and separate yourself, almost like an out-of-body experience, only it's metaphorical. Step aside of yourself and your problems and look at yourself and give yourself an alternative name. You're now Tom. Right? Or actually, you're Jack, and Tom's over there. And Tom has your problem. Tom's dealing with your situation. Tom lives in Kentucky, not Texas. And he's dealing with the problem you are now. Now, let's look at Tom's problem. Tom's problem is X, Y, and Z, and his options are A, B, and C. What should Tom do? And holy shit, immediately 
you can find an answer. Or even if you're not sure, you start to formulate an answer and then you really start to narrow it down and, and figure out, well, maybe there are more options for Tom. Because what happens is you say Tom's problem is X, Y, and Z and his solutions are A, B, or C and when you, because that's what you in your tunnel vision believe. These are the three choices I have right now. And you'll notice that a lot of times people will email me and say, well, I have a choice between A and B or A, B, and C or whatever. So I'll go, well, no, actually you have a whole lot more possibilities than that. Let's examine some of them. And let's look at all of your possibilities so that you can better see your way forward. And then in the end, you have to make a decision for yourself. It's so hard to do when it's your life. But you can, if you'll step aside emotionally and analyze it that way. It's amazing. It's one of the reasons that we instinctually go to other people for advice. Now, if the advice is I'm working on a 67 split window coupe Corvette, and I have this problem with the fuel injectors, well, I'm not going to seek the advice of my best friend unless he happens to be very experienced at 60s model Corvettes. Right, has a working knowledge of the interior uh, attributes of the 327 fuel injected Chevy engine. Like if that if that happens, I'm going to go. But when we we have these bigger, non-specific, non-technical questions, like, gee, should I move or not? Should I take this promotion or not? Should I quit my job and start a business or not? Am I ready to step into my part-time business? When we have questions like that, I'm getting divorced. How do I handle it? We, we go to a third party instinctually, and a lot of times we just go to our best friend or our closest friend or the person that we trust the most, which probably should be your best friend, by the way. The person you most trust should probably be your best friend. Anyway, we go to that person that we trust the most, and we say, this is my issue. And we may not know it in our hearts, but what we're really saying is, I'm too close to this right now to make a rational decision. And that way, the advice that we get can be beneficial. And I'll tell you where you know going to a friend hurts. It doesn't really or doesn't really help as much as it can. If the the emotion it is an emotional issue, it's something that's angering. And when you tell your friend, they're almost as pissed off, or they're more pissed off than you are. And I think we've all had that. Like when somebody screws us over, and then we go to a friend, they're like, "Oh, let's go kick their ass" or something like that. Like that's not helpful. Like that's the wrong. At that point, your best friend's not the person to ask. You're looking for a person that can be very Vulcan, very Buddhist, very detached. Hey, okay, let me think about this. What would I do if this was me? Ah, uh, I should not even think about it that way. What would I do if I were you? No, I shouldn't even think about it that way. What should somebody in your position do? Ah, now we've got it. And so as you listen to this episode... What I want you to think about is when you're in places where you have to figure out what to do, whether it's really almost a split-second decision or when it is a decision that can be thought about for a couple days or a couple weeks, the answer is still usually the same. Detachment from the emotional component and the desirable component. You know when I always find myself losing a bet on football? When the Steelers are playing. And I'm betting on that game. Do you know why? Because I want the Steelers to win. So I will talk myself into a belief that they're going to win because it's what I want to happen. Where if I sit back and I actually methodically examine a football game, I'm pretty good at picking a winner. A lot of times it's actually pretty easy to do. 
maybe you can't beat the spread and win in Vegas, but you could pick, like, this team's probably going to come out ahead in the end. Why? Because you don't care. So you'll find, if you are, a, 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 like, and I'm not really a huge football fan. I'm a Steelers fan, right? But the people that really like to play fantasy football and they watch every player and they know stats and they know what that team's doing this week and all and what their injuries are, they can usually be very good at picking the games they don't give a damn about. The games they have no players for their fantasy lineup in. The games that were like, like these two teams, I don't even care. They're not in my division. They're not even in the conference that I follow. I don't really care. I just know the teams because I need for, because I, you know, I got people playing against whatever. They're pretty good at it because they're detached. But, you know, get their favorite team on. That's the best thing. The best thing you can do if you want to make money betting on football, find a fan of the Cleveland Browns and taunt them into betting on their team. Every single game of the season, you will come out ahead in the end. Okay, just just kicking the rounds when I can, and they might actually do fairly well this year. But you you get what I'm saying. Like people, when they get emotionally vested in something, will make irrational decisions. And so all throughout this episode, that's what I'm really talking about. I'm giving you the framework, my background, how I grew up, growing up, basically in a family that lived. A life of, of, of being somewhat poor, but not even like thinking, man, we got it great. You know, being that kid with the rifle in his hand at, at 13 years old and off in the woods and gone for the day, that has a huge part about how I think. But in the end, the application of the knowledge is always most successful through an attitude of detachment. With that, let's go ahead back. September 20th, September 30th, I'm sorry, 2010, episode 521, Why I Think the Way I Do. They gonna bail you out just run you around They said you should have a house the American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 521. And by the time you're listening to this, honestly, I should be on my way to the bug out location again. I've been doing some work up there uh, with a deer feeder, and I'm just going back up there to check out some things, drop some things off, stuff like that. Uh, there will be a show tomorrow. I'll have a Friday show for you as well. Uh, so even though I'm gone, I've recorded two in advance for you. I don't like to leave you without a show whenever I can possibly avoid it. And today is Thursday, the 30th of September. That means tomorrow, Friday, will be the 1st of October. I keep telling you, time is marching on, folks. It's marching on whether we prepare or not. And it's either working for us because we're doing a little bit every day or it's working against us because we're not doing a little bit every day. It really comes down to you. Do you want something? Do you want to make it happen? And uh, hopefully I'm going to give you a little bit of motivation today. Today's show is going to be a little different than what I usually do. Um, I'm going to talk about why I think the way that I do. I'm going to talk about my background, my history. Uh, I've been asked a lot of times, wh where do you get all this stuff from? Where does it come from? You know, how, how do you know the things that you know? Why do you know the things that you know? How are you able to take these things and distill them down and pick them apart? 
Why is that the case? I'm going to try to answer that for you today. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show, and which is, why does this crazy modern survivalist guy think the way that he thinks? Uh, let me start out with what kind of led me to do this. I meet a lot of people now. I talk to everybody everywhere I go, and I am a shameless self-promoter. I'll admit it, so I like to talk about what I do. Generally, though, I don't have to talk about what I do. If I'm you know, talking to somebody at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, renting space for my RV or something like that, they kind of wonder, what's the guy doing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon not at work? And so usually, you know, the way we are in our society is people ask the question, well, what do you do? You know, what's your job? Who do you work for? And I usually tell them, real, real soft sell initially, I'm a podcaster. And that usually results in a funny, confused look And unless a person listens to podcasts regularly, a lot of people don't have any idea what the hell that means. So they'll say, well, what's podcaster? What, what do you mean? What do you mean you're a podcaster? I don't know. They know it has something to do with the Internet and maybe an iPod. But So I'll explain. Basically, a podcast is nothing more than an online radio show. And instead of having to use a radio to listen to my show, people all over the world can listen to my show every day using the Internet. They can put it on an iPod or they can just listen on a computer with a pair of speakers. This results in an even more confused look because what they want to know is, well, how the hell do you make money doing that? And is this really all you do? So we'll have a little bit of a conversation about that wherever they want it to go because it's the best way to converse with people is let them lead the conversation. And then they'll say, well, what is your show about? And I try to keep a soft sell going at this point to see, to gauge where the person's at. And I'll usually say, well, I do a show about self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and how to do everything from stay out of debt to grow your own food to being prepared for things like natural disasters. And that's a pretty fair description of what the Survival Podcast is. And that will lead to, well, what is your show called? Well, I tell them the Survival Podcast. And this is when I find myself generally with one of only three types of people. The first one is the one I actually really don't really enjoy talking to. I gotta be honest with you, and some of you are gonna fit this role and you're gonna be mad, but I'm sorry. It, it's difficult to have conversations with people like this. And that is the true believer that the world is gonna end sometime in the next 15 hours. And uh, generally we have conversations about the book of Revelation and how everything's been forecasted and we're all about to die and the end of the world is coming now, so we better be prepared. I have a hard time with that conversation because if the end of the world is coming, if it's religious in nature, If everything is going to end, if the or if the mines are right and the world is going to crack in half, and what are you going to prepare for? I just don't get it. If it's just ordained and it's just going to happen, you might as well not worry about being prepared. I'm more worried about being prepared for everyday disasters and to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. So the people that start going off and thinking they found you know a brother they're going to run away and hide somewhere with under the ground generally are difficult to have a conversation with. The second is really enjoyable, and that's the person that kind of thinks the way we all do here in this community. None of us think the exact same way. We all have our own different versions of prepping and preparedness and our own personal lifestyle that we're trying to achieve and how much we're willing to sacrifice and how much we're not and how far we want to live away from others and how close we want. We have all these variances because we're all individual human beings. But there is kind of a common philosophy that I think most of the people that listen to this show come away with, which is we can't prepare for everything, but we can prepare for most things, so we might as well do that. We can't know what's coming, but we can know that something's always going to go wrong, so we can be prepared for that. 
and we can realize that all the things we do to be prepared will make our lives better even if nothing goes wrong. The person that already has that kind of a mindset generally just have a cool conversation. And then here's the cool thing that's been happening lately. I've had some people go, oh, you're that Jack. And that's really cool when that happens. That that feels good, you know. And then I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm that Jack. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking. I'm like, dude, I'm just a guy that talks into a microphone every day. It's It's really not that big a deal. And I'll make a new friend that way. Uh, but that's a great productive conversation. But my favorite person is the person that's never really thought about it. And that's what's led to today's episode. Because those people end up wanting to know more. And sometimes it really doesn't, they're not really open to preparing and survivalism and they're a little iffy on this. But since the conversation usually starts out with what do you do? And they realize that what I do is talk to people like you every day. They want to know, well, how the heck does that work, and why are people listening to you, and how can you do this thing? And I don't understand, because most of them work a 9-to-5 job or an 8-to-4 job, or more and more Americans work about 7-to-7, right? Or, you know, I feel bad for you guys. I've done it a few parts of my life where you work, you know, 7-to-11, or, you know, 11-to-7, or, you know, you work from, uh, you know, 3-to-11 in the swing shift, and at one part of my life, I worked from 7 at night till 7 in the morning, six days a week, and that really sucked, and they just don't, doesn't, people that have never kind of worked for themselves, it doesn't make sense to them that you could just start something and do it, so that brings the conversation forward, but the only thing we can talk about at that point is, well, what the hell do you talk about? So I find myself with people being very receptive to, you know, the basic understanding of the survival podcast. And I'll usually talk to them about the things that if you listen to this show, you already know. About simple things like, hey, do you understand that if there ever is a pandemic, if there ever is a real flu pandemic or any other kind of pandemic, that what's going to happen is our government is going to have no choice but to issue a quarantine? Do you get that? And usually they'll say, that's so easily easy to understand one. And I say, it could be one in a thousand, right? But it's a hell of a lot better odds than you hitting the lottery. Oh, yeah, okay. And do you understand that that's what they would do because they don't have any other, it's the only thing they can do. And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, if you had to stay in your house for 30 days, what kind of shape would you be in after two weeks? See, and now we're not talking about running off to the woods or whatever. And that, that starts to kind of crack through. And I'll, I'll talk to them about debt. And I'll be like, do you understand how much money the average person owes? You know, and how much, how much credit card debt they're carrying? How long is it going to take to pay that off? How many people's families are destroyed by debt like this? And they're thinking, this isn't survivalism, at least not what I've been told it is. And we'll get into a long conversation. And we'll talk about some traditional survival stuff. We'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. But in the end, I get, why do you even think this way? How did you learn all this stuff? Where the hell does this all come from? And I can never fully answer that question with a common conversation with someone I just happened to meet in the middle of my day. But I can answer it here, and I'm going to do that for you today. I think the first reason that I think the way that I do is because my family was poor. And I don't mean dirt poor, but we were poor. We, we had an income below the poverty level. Always seemed to. And we didn't have the same things that people around us did. And I, when I moved back to Pennsylvania, we actually did. Everybody was kind of poor, and it was even easier to not know. And um, But out of that came an understanding that things had value. 
that when something was broken, you just didn't throw it away and get another one, that you would try to fix it. And if you couldn't fix it, well, you were going to do without for a while. And this, very early on, trained into me an understanding that we don't live in a world of unlimited stuff. That all things have limits. There is a finite end to everything. Even the wealthiest person in the world, if they try to live a wasteful lifestyle, would eventually run out of money to buy more crap with. And if individuals are limited, then nationally we're limited, globally we're limited. There can't be enough for everybody to have everything all the time. There is a world of scarcity. And that programmed into my mind that we had to value the things we did and we had to be innovative and figure out how to do more with less. I think another big thing is I grew up in liberty, true liberty for a human. I grew up in the woods, and I grew up holding a rifle. When I was a little kid, it was a BB gun, and when I got older, it was a .22. And there were very few times that I left home, unless I was going fishing, where I wasn't carrying a rifle with me. Not because I was out in some kind of defensive posture or something like that, because it's, it's what kids did where I grew up. We practiced our rifle craft. We got better and better at it. It was all about, hey, this fall we're going to be hunting, and when we get the shot, we're not going to make the shot. We're not going to miss the shot. If I'm going to stand in a tree stand in freezing cold weather for hours and days, when I finally get the opportunity, I'm not going to blow it. This is important. This is part of how we feed ourselves. And that brings you up with a view on things that, not only can times be hard, but hard times can be some of the most enjoyable and rewarding that you'll ever experience. You know, I remember being 14, 15, 16 years old, standing on a little platform up in a tree in December in Pennsylvania with snow flying and wiggling my toes to keep them warm and wishing to God the sun would finally come up over the ridge and warm the temperature a little bit. I remember wanting to climb down and go get warm and sticking it out, and I remember how it paid off. And those are life lessons that you can't learn from a book. They're programmed into you forever. And what that did for me all throughout my life is when I would ever get into a tough situation where I was working to try to achieve something, and I would get to a point where I would go, man, this just doesn't feel worth it. I'd realize if you can just push a little harder, if you can just try a little harder, if you can just do a little more, you can get what you want. Another thing is, you know, I've grown food almost my entire life on some level. Wherever we've lived, I've planted something. Whether it was a few herbs in a pot when I lived in an apartment, uh, whether it was, you know, growing grapes and, and peach trees and stuff like that in the first house that we ever bought. Uh, to when we moved to Pennsylvania, we had a nice garden to the beautiful garden you've seen in my videos today. To being a young, a young kid, I mean, really young, when we would go to Pennsylvania for the entire summer, I'd basically spend my summer from the day I got out of school till the day I had to go back out of school up in Pennsylvania with my grandparents, tending their garden for them, learning from my grandfather. And when you grow your own food like that, and it's not just a novelty, it's not just a few tomatoes to go into your salad tonight. When you grow it and, you know, toward the end of the season, you're bringing up buckets and buckets of food and you're watching your grandmother chop that up to preserve it and then you leave and you come back three or four months later for the holidays and you sit down to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and the food that you picked you're sent down into a cellar to get a jar of it and bring it upstairs 
and you realize you're eating this today because of the work that you did for three months in the summer, it puts you into a connection with your food that most people have completely lost. You'll realize that even though you go to a store and you purchase food and it comes in nice pretty plastic wrappers, that that's not where food comes from. You remember the sweat and the calluses on your hands and the scratches. You remember going through the bush in the, in, in the woods with a machete to chop steaks for a tomato. You remember tying up a bean trellis. You remember the first time you picked cucumbers and your grandmother just let you do it without telling you that they bite, as she put it, if you don't hold them the right way because they have little spines on them. So you grab one and yank on it and you never forget that. When you grow your own food your entire life, and I'm not saying you grow all your own food, but you grow food your entire life, you will never believe in an infinite food supply. It will be impossible for you to do so because you are so in touch with the reality that food comes from somebody's effort. And that effort doesn't always reward you with food. There are failures. There are infestations. There are bad years. There are crop failures. You'll know that things can always go wrong, but you'll know you can always make a difference. When your grandfather teaches you how to mash up the best tomatoes and not eat them and use them for seed for the next year, you learn that you have more control than people would ever lead you to believe that you have. You also know that the food that you're eating on a daily basis isn't quite right. The things that other people taste and think taste good, you realize taste wrong, they taste false, they taste artificial. You realize there's something missing, there's something lacking, and you always want it back. So you'll always strive to find a way to grow some more of your own food. I think the next thing is, I served in the military. And this isn't really about the way I analyze things tactically or anything like that. I was a mechanic in the Army for three years. And... You know, I was good with a rifle. I qualified expert the first time we ever shot. I got the same training that any other soldier does. I was fortunate enough that I joined at a time when it was easy to become part of the Airborne, and I got to go through Airborne school, and I served with the Airborne Corps. And, and, and that is a great part of it. But what really did it for me, what really, what I carry with me today isn't silver wings that were pinned on my chest. It's an experience of being in nations like Panama and Costa Rica and Honduras, especially Honduras. I lived in the third world, and I saw people that lived that way. And I understand something that I think many survivalist-minded people who have never witnessed it don't. It ain't as good as you think it is, but yet it's pretty damn good. I think there's a lot of survival-minded individuals that will think it will be like a great big camping trip, and they don't know what it is to live with a dirt floor other than maybe to take a little trip into the wilderness. But you see, the thing about these wilderness trips, this dirt time that everybody's so proud of, and I like it, and I'm proud of it too, but when it really comes down to it, the thing about that is you know when you're coming home. You put yourself into the situation under a given set of circumstances to endure or thrive in it for a given period of time and then return home. I watched people that live that way every day of their lives. I watched them beg me, to give them some portion of the MRE that we bitched about having to eat every day. I watched them look at us with, you know, shock and horror because we would feed some of the extra food to a stray dog. Not believing that we would take that food and give it to a dog. They couldn't understand why we weren't giving it to them. I've seen what it is to have nothing. 
I've seen little children with no shoes running in streets that are full of, of, of cattle and, and donkey crap. I've got the pictures to prove it. And I realized that this is the way people live when you take away all the things that we take for granted because it's what's left. And I realized how fragile the things that we take for granted really are. I think one of the most important things about the way I think today and why I'm, let's say, a moderate as far as a survival-minded individual would go is that I was able to shake off something I never knew I had. I had a poverty consciousness growing up in a poor family. I always believed that the people that had more than me somehow had stolen it or, or gotten there unfairly, that, that the rich were, were mean and greedy and the poor, well, that was everybody else like me. There was no path to success unless you followed a blueprint cookie cutter path, and then it still depended on who you knew or getting lucky. And I knew that path wasn't for me. The path, my path never led to college. It just couldn't. It just wouldn't. It wasn't right for me. I would have been wasting a seat that belonged to somebody that wanted it. So I didn't go. And I went into, you know, the, the job world, starting out packing boxes for $6 an hour. And that was 1994 that I was packing boxes for $6 an hour. And by 1999, I broke the six-figure barrier in sales. That's five years with no college degree. I ended up working for a very large corporation called Fluke Networks, taking over the Northeast region for them, and I did that for three years. And I was their number one producer, their number one manager globally in the world for those three years. And I made a big, a big salary. I made a lot of money. And I traveled all over the, the country. And I dealt with people that were making a lot more money than me, high-end consultants. Some of the managers, some of the owners of the rep firms that I managed were unbelievably wealthy because they'd been doing it for 20 years as independent business people. One of my reps had a wine cellar that was worth more than my house, and I didn't have a shabby house. And I learned a lot of things from that. And the first thing I learned is that everything that I believed about can't or not fair or you know, impossible or you can't do it or someone's keeping you down or the rich are greedy was all complete bullshit. That if I could do it, some poor kid from the coal region with no real training and nothing other than desire that anybody else could too and anybody with a sob story was full of shit. I also had to sit back and realize something, that what that meant is for years and years when I believed that, I was full of shit. It's a humbling experience to realize that an entire portion of your life was spent being full of shit, but it's necessary for most people. And once I realized that, I realized a lot of other things too. I, sh I slowly realized that it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't all it was cracked up to be when I was on the other side of the fence looking at it, and it seemed like these guys had it made. I also realized how hard people that are well-paid in the corporate world really work. I think a lot of us believe that they just sit on their ass. And I can tell you that in certain periods of time there, not physically, but mentally and emotionally, I worked harder than I ever worked at any other period of my life. And I also learned something else. Even though I was the best at what I did, it was never enough for the people above me. They always wanted more. They always took more. And I realized it was pulling me away from my family. Some long trips, I'd come back and I'd feel like my kid had grown while I was gone. And I know the garden grew while I was gone. And it put into perspective the time away. 
And I started to make a shift, and I started to live more in line with my roots, but I stayed in the corporate world right up until I started doing this show. And even after that for a while, those of you who listened early on know that I finished out you know, working basically as a director of marketing services for two companies and helping a partner and some people build a company of our own. That was pretty tough, too. And now that I sit back and I realize that I'm not part of that corporate world anymore, I'm, I don't have a job, a cubicle to me looks like a prison cell. I could never go back to work with a place with a time clock again. I could never go pack boxes in a warehouse again. I'm not adverse to the work. There's times when we're doing you know, projects and stuff that we're going to work as hard or harder than that. Building a deck is hard work. There's people that do it every day as construction workers. Digging trenches and, and, and digging swales is hard work. You know, taking over and, 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 and turning land into something that produces is going to be hard work. I'm not adverse to the work now. I'm adverse to somebody telling me when, where, how to do it. Telling me when I can take a break. Telling me when I can go on vacation and when I can't. Being told, oh, you can't go on vacation that week because someone else already put in for it. I don't want to live that way anymore. And that's a big part of what I come to you and talk to you about every day is breaking away and creating independence from that type of a lifestyle because that type of lifestyle is actually bullshit. I mean, there are jobs where you got to be there. If you're a nurse in an ER, so there's got to be a nurse on call when someone comes in that's dying. But most jobs... I feel that if people get their work done, they shouldn't be bothered with when, how, or, 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 or how often they work. They should have a, a production quota and be left the hell alone. Society's moving there, but it's got a long way to go, and I'm not willing to wait for it. And that's a big part of why I think the way that I do. The next thing is, by my very nature, and reinforced through my training in the Army as a mechanic, I am a troubleshooter. If I look at anything and it doesn't work perfectly, I want to make it better. If I look at something and it's working, I want to try to make it better, even if just to prove to myself that somebody else already got it right, and I just need to leave it alone. But anything that I see in front of me that's got a problem, I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to, try, I'm going to play with it. I'm going to put variances into it. I'm going to try it a little bit differently. And when it doesn't work out, then I just have figured out that, hey, the way we're doing it is is best. But more often what I find out is we're doing it that way because someone did it that way first and everybody else is copying them and emulating them and following them and just being like the person before. They'll put a new coat of paint on something, call it original, call it their own, but they're full of crap. And if we actually analyze things and troubleshoot things, we can make them better. And that's a big part of the content that I bring you. I look at all the things that we've always done, and then I analyze them, and I take different pieces of information that seem totally unrelated, and I apply them to each other. And this is why when I found permaculture, it was like finding just the most unbelievable philosophy that was missing in my entire life. I realized that there are interconnections and interrelationships in all things. And that troubleshooter in me, that engineering, that creating mind, grasped onto those. So when you say, well, how can you take something like this and add it to something like this and twist it and make something I've never understood before understandable? It's because everything really is simple. And troubleshooting is about deconstructing the pile of bullshit that people put in place to make themselves sound intelligent. People do it with economics, they do it with politics, they do it with 
gardening, they do it with cooking, they do it with winemaking and beer making and everything else out there. And the reality is when you cut through all the bullshit and big words that people try to use to make things complicated, and you do something so simple, which is take something and take something else and use one to create an analogy with the other, you take something people already intrinsically understand and show them that it is a repetition, it is the same thing, the lights go on. And then the most important thing happens. You're not a genius, you're not smart, you're not some rocket scientist, you're just a guy that's trying to help them, and you've given them the ability to understand it, and therefore they can think for themselves and they don't need you. My goal with this show has never been to create something where people feel that I'm needed. I want to be part of your daily life if you listen to me because you want me there. Not because you feel if you don't have what I offer, it won't be complete or you won't get somewhere or, you know, you need me to tell you how to run your life. No, I don't want that. Anybody that wants something like that is crazy. I don't want that much responsibility for other people's lives. And it's that thought process that's allowed me to put things together the way that I do. I also have a, a sickness almost. I cannot help but analyze and learn more about anything I find interesting. I can't do calculus. I'll never be able to do calculus because I don't give a flying crap about calculus. And I never will. And that's part of why I didn't bother anybody with going to college and pretending I belong there. But if you show me something and I, I've never seen before, and you know ten times more about it than me, don't be surprised if two months later I can come back to you and have a conversation with you about it and, 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 and t tell you some things you didn't know. Because I'll go on an all-out freak expenditure of, of information gathering if I find it interesting. And I, I cannot explain that. And I can't tell you how to encourage it in yourself. And I think most people really are that way. But we're so blinded with the crap that we're forced to consume that we don't spend any time on the things that we're passionate about believing in love. And I think if we get the garbage out of the way, everybody's like that. There's something out there that you want to know more about right now. If there wasn't, you wouldn't listen to podcasts. We listen to podcasts mostly not for entertainment, but for education. We can get entertainment from Hollywood. We can get entertainment on the radio. We can get entertainment with pop music or country music or rock music. When we listen to somebody on a podcast, we're saying, I want something more. I want more information. I want more knowledge. So you have that in you. But there's things that I'll never talk about that you want to know more about. Go learn. Dig into the information. Educate yourself. It will make you a more, even if it seems completely unrelated to survival and prepping, lifestyle planning, it will impact it. Every time you gain knowledge and you, you give yourself one more tool, you find yourself taking things that seem completely unrelated and putting them together. I also have this other sickness. I remember things in kind of a freaky sort of way. Now, if my wife tells me today, Jack, take the, the laundry upstairs, and I say, okay, I'll do that. Um, an hour later, it's probably still going to be sitting on the floor. I've probably walked around it twice, and it's not because I'm a jerk. It's because I've honest to God forgot because it doesn't really interest me. But I could read an article three years ago about something about permaculture, never have need of that particular piece of information, and if you ask me a question today that that article answered, I can access that like a computer file because I have an interest in it. I can't explain that, and it's given me the illusion of being a very intelligent person. I'm just a person with good recall is really what it comes down to, but it's why I think the way that I do. I'm also never satisfied that I've learned enough. 
People say, aren't you tired of learning about beer, for God's sakes, or tired of learning about freaking turnips, or tired of learning about, you know, cover crops, or tired of learning about guns, or tired of learning about ammunition, or tired of learning, you know, but whatever. No, I'm never tired. I get to a point where I'm kind of like, okay, I know I've, I've played with this subject for long enough, and I'm going to go play with another one, but eventually I'm going to come back and I'm going to keep going around so I don't get bored. And that's why you get a show like you do every day. I also, because of my past and, and my current situation and everything in between and watching people succeed, watching people fail, seeing people in the first world take for granted what people in the third world don't even know about, I know how fragile life and lifestyles are. I've seen the results of people killed. A few uh, days before I was to graduate high school, uh, two members of my class and two members of the class that was preceding us were out screwing around in a you know in a in a little edge like Ford Bronco or something like that, driving around in in the woods, and uh, ended up going down one of the old mine shafts and and all four of them died and two of them were supposed to stand at you know my side graduate with me. Um, just before I started my senior year in high school. Uh, my father asked me, do you know a guy named Clint Hedder? He's in the newspaper. I said, what did he do? And he said he shot himself. I had a good friend in the Army that just partied too much one night, climbed out onto a rooftop and fell off and ended up supposed to be paralyzed from the chest down for the rest of his life. And they evac'd him back to the United States, and we later heard that he died. So I've seen life taken. As a hunter, I've taken life. And I don't say that in some kind of a macho way. I actually say it in a very humble way. It's a, it's a very humble thing to, to take an arrow and place it through the vitals of a deer and watch that animal die at your hand. It actually, if you allow yourself to experience it for what it is, it's not macho at all. It's being part of the world. But it teaches you what death is. Death is not something that comes in degrees. It's an absolute. And when you do it really well, when you put that arrow through that deer and it runs about 10 feet and looks around and tries to figure out what the hell that sound was and starts chewing on a bush and then falls over, there's a pride, but it's not the pride of standing behind an animal and showing somebody else how big the rack is. It's a pride about truly mastering what it is to be a predator. But as you master being a predator, you'll understand that in some situations you're the prey. And sometimes it's not malicious, it's just life. You realize that tomorrow morning you could be on your way to work and hit by a truck. And you realize that all of the things that we just take for granted from the gas pump to the grocery store are just as fragile. And they have just as much potential to be broken down. I guess another thing, and a reason I do this show and I talk with so much passion about it, is to me, liberty is the most precious thing that a man can have. There is nothing that I have that is more valuable to me than the liberty to live my life in my way on my terms. If that wasn't the case, jail and prison wouldn't be a punishment. If that was the case, then people wouldn't be so angry about what our government's doing all the time. Liberty is intrinsic to the human soul. I've said this before, but I could put you in a mansion 
with every doodad and gadget and gizmo and food and, and luxury you could ever want. And around that mansion, I could sur surround it with 80 acres of the most beautiful property you've ever seen and give you toys and motorcycles and whatever does it for you. A ski slope in the winter and your own lift. And I could give you complete, total ecstasy, whatever that is for you, on an 80-acre fenced-in compound. But the day that I tell you you can't leave... It's going to be really hard to enjoy any of it. Liberty is the most precious thing that a person can have, yet it's almost impossible to define and you can't touch it, you can't see it. You only know when you have it and you know when you don't. And with liberty as the guiding factor of what I do, it's not about politics. It's about liberty for yourself. And that's to me the core of modern survivalism. I also gave up on any political affiliation. I am a non-Democrat, non-Republican at this, at this point in my life. There's times when I think the Democrats are doing the right thing, and there's times when I think the Republicans are doing the right thing. But when it really comes down to it, I realize that they've all screwed us. They've all taken our freedom. They've all increased our taxes. They've all increased the size and scope of government. All of them. Every damn one of them for my lifetime and probably for years. I don't think there's a person walking on the planet today that lived when there was a president or a Congress or a Senate that didn't make government bigger, that didn't tax us more. About the only time that government shrunk was very briefly under Eisenhower. Very, very briefly. And that course was reversed soon thereafter. It just really is liberating, though, to realize that I'm not obligated to think a certain way because some party affiliation requires that of me. It's not that I don't care about politics at all. It's not that I don't care about government. It's not that I don't care what the jackasses do to destroy things every day. It's that I realize that being married to either one of them isn't going to get me anywhere, and I need to think independently and for myself. And that's why one day you'll get on this show and you'll think, this guy is a right-wing fanatic, and the next day you'll think, this guy's a flaming liberal. Because I don't give a damn about conservative and liberal or Republican and Democrat. The things that I care about in my country anyway are, are we following the Constitution of the United States of America, yes or no? And when the answer is no, it is wrong whether I like it or not. That's really, really important to what I do. The other thing is, I grew up with a family that had a lot of prejudice in it. Over a lot of things, and I won't go into what they were. And those were part of my makeup. And there were things that I saw going to school in kind of a, a, not directly in the inner city, but close to the inner city in grade school and, and junior high before we moved. And programs that brought inner city children into those schools uh, that were still going on at those times with a lot of tension between kids based on where they were from and how they looked. They reinforced that for me. And thank God for the Army. Because that's what taught me that it was about the man, not his background, not the color of his skin. It was about the man inside. And that just because I'd run across people that were absolutely scum, that looked different than me, didn't mean there wasn't scum that looked just like me. And I gave up every prejudice that I can within my limitations as a human being. I can't tell you that it never creeps into my life. 
And I think that anybody that says that is full of shit and they're lying. But I know that it's wrong and I try to keep it out of my politics. I try to keep it out of my show. I try to keep it out of my prepping and I try to keep it the hell out of my life. Because there's no place for it. And this is why I look at certain political issues that you might agree with me on most of them and disagree with me on others because I'll ask myself a question. Is my personal bias getting in the way? And if it is, I don't have room for it. If it doesn't affect me and it doesn't affect you, we need to leave people to hell alone. Because that's what liberty is in the first place. How can we sit around and play lip service to liberty and then turn around and deny another person that same liberty? And to me, that's where, you know, the, 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 the right, the political right gets it wrong a lot of times. And how can we say that we're for liberty in our personal choices in our lives and then turn around and deny liberty to people to keep the things that they earn to a right to their personal property? And that's where the left gets it wrong. And I realize that we as a society have been divided into both of those camps. And the system doesn't give a shit which side you go into. They just want you in one or the other so they can keep you at oppositions with your brothers and your sisters throughout this nation. The last thing they want is for you to think independently of that affiliation. So I gave mine up. I'd encourage you to consider doing the same thing. And I would give up as much bias and prejudice as you can as well. No matter what you've been told, no matter what you've been taught, no race of people, no faith, no religion, no creed, no gender, no one has caused you harm because of those things. Many things have been done in the name of those things. And those people that acted are liars. And when you let that prejudice into your life, you let that liar win. So you let it go and you focus on yourself and you focus on your family because that's what really matters. I also accept at times that I am going to be 100% totally, completely wrong about things. I'll make predictions about the future and they won't happen. I'll say I know this is what's going on and when I dig deeper I'll find out it's not what happened. I'll take a source that somebody provides me, I'll look at it, I'll check it out, it'll seem to check out. I'll come in here and I'll say, you know what, I just found out today that these jackasses did this jackass maneuver and it's confirmed and they did it. And then I'll find out two days later I was lied to, I was deceived and I'm wrong. And sometimes it's because I got bad information and sometimes it's because I'm a human being. And when I screw it up, I'm going to come back and tell you, yeah, I screwed it up. And that's made me a lot more cautious. I was pretty arrogant when I started this show about things like that. You know, I'd say things and say, I know this is true. And now when I think something's true, man, I dig into it for two or three days before I'll bring it up. That's why you don't hear a lot of breaking news on the Survival Podcast, because breaking news is when everybody has it wrong and you're just being like them. I'll dig into it. It's why you guys send me emails and say, Obama did this, or Bush did that, or the Muslims are doing this, or they did this in Jerusalem, or uh, uh, on and on and on. I get these emails, and in 15 seconds of searching on the Internet, I'll find out it's a hoax, and I'll send it back to you and go, check this stuff out before you forward it. It is great that we live in an age where information can be shared at the speed of light, but it comes with responsibility. We have a right to say whatever we want. We have a right to communicate with whomever we choose. But as I've said before, every right that you have has a concurrent responsibility. And we're big on this country talking about our rights, and we've gotten really shallow on talking about responsibility. 
I think we need to have more conversations about responsibility, especially between parents and their children. I also know I cannot predict the future. That's part of being wrong, but I can't do it. I can't get on here like some of the people in this space and say, well, by 2014, you know, this is what's going to happen, or the dollar's going to crash tomorrow morning because I have an inside source, or, you know, if you don't get all your money out of your 401k by tomorrow, they're going to take it away from you, or they're going to come out and take all your guns tomorrow, or the end of the earth will happen on December 21st, 2012. I know that's all 100% total, complete bullshit. But I do know that change is a constant. I do know that we live in a time where change happens faster than any other time in the history of humanity. And I know that change always brings opportunity and pain, that there are twins in the world. Opportunity and pain go hand in hand. And I know we don't have to face that change without any level of preparation whatsoever. And it's why I get on here every day and say, be ready for something. I don't know what. But here's how to do it. I believe that the power lies with the individual and that it's up to you to make your choices in your life and you're going to seldom hear me tell you that those choices are wrong. I also believe above all else that I am in control of my life and I know I am not a victim. And if there is one thing that I could wish for and make the people of my nation understand, it's that you are not a victim either. I don't care if there's ignorant people that haven't let go of the bias and prejudice that I've talked about earlier. You are not a victim. I don't care that you grew up in a poor family and you're still poor. You are not a victim. I do not care that you had to go to jail because of something that you did that was stupid that you wish you could take back and you had to deal with it and now your life is hard. You are not a victim. You are not a victim as long as you have control over your own life. You are only a victim while somebody is committing the act against you and you cannot defend yourself. That is it. When you're being beaten, you're a victim. If you were beaten last year and the people that did it can't get to you again, you are not a victim. And neither am I. And everything that's good in your life is there because you did something to make it happen and everything that's bad in your life is there because either by circumstance or by apathy you were unable to prevent it. And all you have is the ability to deal with it now and go forward. And I also know that there are times when you become a victim. It is always a, a short-duration occurrence. When somebody bigger than you beats you down, when somebody steals from you, when somebody takes what's yours, you're a victim during the occurrence. And I know that it sucks to feel that way. It's one of the worst things you can ever feel is to feel that you're a victim. And that's why I prepare. Not so that I'll never be victimized ever by anything, but so I can minimize and mitigate any opportunity that comes to make me a victim for any period of time in my life. Because I don't ever want to be there. And I know that even when times are tough, it's not because I'm a victim. It's because that's the way life is. And I'm the one with the power to do something about it. I also recognize something that I think most Americans are so clueless about, and I think it's a big part of what's wrong with our country, that modern slavery is self-inflicted. We look back to the Civil War in the United States and we think that's when slavery ended. I'm going to tell you that in some ways it's when it really began. At least the slave master of old had to feed his slaves, had to provide housing and care for them. Today we have slaves that work in cubicles. We have slaves that drive to work in mobile metal coffins to and fro. And they feed themselves and they clothe themselves in a portion of everything that they do 
to provide for their own existence is taken away in what they're told is their own best interest in the form of taxation, and what they don't give up to taxation, they are lured into the trap of debt with. And that slavery exists on probably 90% of the United States population, but not me. And it sure as hell doesn't have to be you either. And if you're in some portion of it, start working your ass the hell out of it. And I'm not saying that if you have a job, you're a slave. A job is the right thing for the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people are not going to be entrepreneurs. It's a different lifestyle. It requires risk. It requires a tolerance. And it requires a strength. And it requires an attitude. And it requires a desire. But do you want to go to work? And if you don't, find another place to go to work at. Because there's some place you'll want to go. The debt is the real killer, though. Because the debt makes that choice harder. You don't owe anybody anything. And you decide you don't like where you're at and you want to go somewhere else. It's a damn easy choice to make. Take a 20% pet and cut and pay. I don't care. Happiness is worth a hell of a lot more than that. You barely make the end of the money and the end of the month meet together. You can't make that choice. And what will happen is you'll hold out till you find something that pays better, but it's not what you really want. And you'll go get that, and then what comes next? More debt to go along with it, to fill the hole that exists in your life because you have no idea what the hell you really want. When I woke up and saw that for what it was, I realized I had to build something that was completely independent of anybody but me. You might have another solution to it. And I think that's a big thing that I don't give you the solution for you. I give you the way to think and you formulate your own solution for yourself. But find a solution. Don't be a slave. The other thing is I really want to help people. I really do. I am not a people person in crowds. You get me into a crowded environment, all I want to do is get the hell away from there. But I can sit down with three or four people and have an in-depth conversation on just about any subject in the world at least any subject that I find somewhat interesting. But when I get on this microphone every day, and I know there's 14 and 15,000 people out there on a daily basis listening to this, I feel really, really blessed. And I feel really, really fortunate to be able to talk to people and make a difference in their lives by helping them take control of their own life. And it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. It's why I think the way that I do. It's why I come up with the things that I come up with on this show. Because I genuinely want to help people. But here's the big one. I know I can't breathe for you. I can't do it for you. I can't pull you across the finish line. I know that in the end you must choose for yourself. And it's why my tenth principle started out right from the beginning is, in the end, you must know that you are in control of your life. My solution is not your solution. You must formulate the solution based on what you want for yourself based on what your view of risk is going forward, based on what your view of safety is going forward, based on how much you want for yourself, it is your choice. And I'm not about to tell you it's wrong. So I want to help you, but I know that in the end, I don't really help you. I just give you some information so that you can help yourself. The bigger thing, though, and the reason I'll go into politics and economics sometimes and things that I know are not the really big things for people, or while I'll sit down and do a show like this, it really doesn't tell you how to do anything, it just tells you who I am and where I'm coming from. I want people, above all, to know why you believe what you believe. You can believe 180 degrees out from what I believe. 
You can believe the exact opposite. You can think I'm 100% wrong. I won't even debate you if I know you know why you believe that. If you've actually examined the same information that I have, if you've dissected it, and you've formed your opinion based on everything that's available, and based on that you've made a choice, I'll respect your choice. But Americans today don't know why they believe what they believe. They believe what they're told to believe, based on the camp that they fall into. If they like Obama and he said it, it must be good. And if they don't like Obama and he said it, it must be bad. And you insert the name of any political affiliation you want to in there. Congressman, senator, governor, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't stop at government. It goes into corporate stuff. If they like Bill Gates, what he said must be good. And if they don't like Bill Gates, what he said must be bad. You know? If they like what a teacher says, what they said is right. And if they don't like a teacher, what they said is wrong. If they like a co-worker, you get the point. We have so gotten ourselves into a point where we affiliate ourselves with an idea without an examination of it first that we let other people, and worse, we let an apparatus, a machine do the thinking force. If you learn nothing else from me, if you have any of that in your life, get rid of it. You have no room for that in your life. You're not going to be prepared for anything as long as you think that way you can have more food stored up than the next person you can have more guns and ammunition than the next person you can have a bigger garden you can have a bigger piece of land you can have no debt at all you can have all the stuff but if you can't think for yourself you don't have jack diddly shit and i can't put it any less bluntly i was going to say crap but i realized as i was coming out of my mouth it wasn't right you don't have jack shit if you can't think for yourself and some of you parents that you know listen to this and decide there's certain shows that you let the kids listen to and not, that's probably one they need to hear, even though it's not a word you might choose to use. Thinking for ourselves is the most critical thing that we can do to ensure our own survival. And everything from the television to the radio to our school systems to our government is telling people how to think instead of teaching them how to think for themselves. And I hope that what I do here does just a little bit to help people think for themselves. And that's really it. If you ever wanted to know how I know what I know, why I know what I know, why I get on here and I do this stuff every day, how I can get on here and do it every day. Because these are the things that drive me. These are the things that motivate me. And these are the things that I want for you. And notice that when I said what I wanted for you, I didn't put any specifics in it. I talked in big generalities. Basically, what I want for you is liberty and freedom by ever, however you define that. And you can have anything you want, and you're okay with me, as long as you don't take away my ability or somebody else's ability to have what they want. To me, that's what liberty is really all about. And without liberty, I don't know what we're preparing for. So I prepare so that I can live my life on my terms, and that in itself is liberty. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Sometimes get tough, or even if they don't.
Nobody up there cares. They're 